<laughs> On this Epiphany Sunday, we're going to be looking at Epiphany Scripture, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, Jesus' baptism. I'm going to read the text. Please follow. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. In verse 12 and 13, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, the one to whom you spoke as he came up from the waters of baptism in the Jordan River. Now teach us, please, about the great importance of that baptismal event. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Jesus' baptism was a defining moment in his ministry. What is a defining moment? It's an event that happens like in a person's life and it influences, maybe directs that person in a certain direction from then on. I want to give you an example. My grandfather was a United States Marine who landed on the shores of France toward the end of World War I. Mm -hmm. And he was asked to write up a, uh, a little report of an intramural sports game between two teams of Marines. He put it in the Marine newspaper over there. And so he did that. And after doing that, he felt such satisfaction that he made a decision. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to be a sports writer. Mm -hmm. So he went to college, he got a degree in journalism, and he became a sports writer for many years. He wrote for the Houston Post newspaper in Houston. Well, today I want us to consider 
a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. His baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. I want to give you four reasons why this was a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. It was a defining moment, his baptism, because it revealed that he was the one whom John the Baptist was preparing the people to receive as the Messiah. So it was a revelation, a revelation that he was the divine Messiah. Secondly, Jesus' baptism was a defining moment because it revealed his full identification with his people and their need of forgiveness for their sins. So it was identification. His identification with sinners he came to serve. Thirdly, Jesus' baptism was a defining moment because it revealed the descent of the Spirit from heaven, the outpouring of the Spirit. And I want to call this by a technical word for outpouring called effusion. Mm. The reason I want to use effusion because it rhymes with the other key words here. <laughs> <laughs> it means an inundation, a drenching, okay? And then fourthly, Jesus' baptism was a defining moment because it revealed the Father's love for His Son and His pleasure in His Son. So it was a moment of affirmation. Affirmation. An affirmation of the Father's love for His Son and His pleasure in His Son. So we're going to look at revelation, identification, effusion, and affirmation. First of all, this baptism revealed that Jesus was the one who John the Baptist was preparing the people to receive. It was a revelation of who the Messiah was. Well, who was this John the Baptist fellow? He was a very important man in the days of Jesus Christ. His coming into human history is announced in the Old Testament. In at least two different places, key places, in Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3. If you look at the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, the subject here of John's Gospel is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that the author, what does he do? He immediately, immediately goes back to the Old Testament and begins to quote from these two prophets, from Isaiah and from Malachi. If you look back at Isaiah chapter 40, this is what it says, verse 3, a voice cries. Who's the voice? The voice is John the Baptist. Okay. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And the Lord there in the Old Testament is all capital, so it means prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the personal covenant name of God. And what it's saying here is Yahweh is coming. God is coming. We need, we need to make proper preparation for Him. Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. And the word here, Lord, in Greek is kurios, 
which is the same word used in the Old Testament Greek scriptures to describe Yahweh. So same thing. Yahweh's coming. Prepare to receive him. He's coming among you. Not an angel. Not another prophet. Not another sinner. But Yahweh himself is coming. Now, it's clear. If you go on and read a little further in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11, it says, Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now this is an amazing prophecy in Isaiah. It's really saying that God is going to come among you, among the cities of Judah. That's what's being said here. So, he's going to rule among his people. He's going to be their shepherd. He's going to walk among them. So, Mark understood that, and he's quoting from Isaiah 40 to describe the coming of Jesus among his people. And then, in verse 4 of John 1, Mark identifies who the messenger announcing the coming of God among his people is who this messenger is, who this voice is. It's John. Verse 4, John appeared in the wilderness. He'd been living out in the wilderness. A very uh, austere existence. He was eating locusts and wild honey. And he began to preach that the people of his nation needed to repent of their sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. His preaching did not go unnoticed. News about this powerful preacher, this prophet, spread throughout the land. People came from Jerusalem, all over Judea, to the Jordan River, which is on the eastern side of the country. And they listened to his preaching, and they heeded his preaching, and they confessed their sins. They acknowledged how they had offended God, how they had disobeyed his law. And then they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. It was at a river that he was doing these things. So he had plenty of water to immerse these people. That's what baptism means. They were walking down into the river. And John was baptizing. He was immersing them. Now look at this man, John. He was not dressed in fine, soft, luxurious clothing like the high priest and the wealthy people of the nation dressed. Verse 6 says he was dressed in camel's hair, which I imagine is pretty rough. It's not soft. And he wore a leather belt. Same exact clothing that Elijah, Elijah the Old Testament prophet, wore. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. So, even by his clothing, he's revealing that he's a prophet of God like Elijah. So he preached like an Old Testament prophet. He looked like an Old Testament prophet. He was a mighty prophet of God who stood between the Old and the New Testaments. He ushered in the New Testament era. He prepared the way for the coming of Israel's Messiah, the one anointed by the Spirit. 
John was a mighty man of God. But look what John says in verse 7. After me comes one who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is saying that someone much greater than he is, is coming. Someone who is so great and holy a man that John being such a great prophet, isn't even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. And though I've been baptizing you with water, John said, this one is going to baptize you with something much greater, with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was meaningful. It was important. But it was baptism into a physical element, into water, common everyday water, but the baptism of the one who is coming would be and none less than the very Holy Spirit of God. Who can baptize anybody in the Holy Spirit of God? He must be someone from God. Well, who is John talking about that's coming? Well, verse 9 gives us the clear, plain answer. Verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized... By John in the Jordan. Now, Nazareth is about 37 miles north of where John was probably baptizing. Now, <clears throat> if we look at the Apostle John's account of his baptism, in John chapter 1, verse 29, we see it says this, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John, saying that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, was the one who would take away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist's whole purpose in life, his ministry, his sacred calling, was to help prepare his nation, the Hebrew people, to receive the promised Messiah by helping them, as we sometimes say today, get right with God. They needed to examine their own lives in the light of God's Word and see how they had failed Him and then confess their sins to Him. So here was a concrete, physical way for them to confess their sins, to exemplify repentance by being baptized. They had to allow themselves to go into the water and be immersed by John the Baptist. So, by doing this, they would have their hearts humbled. They would acknowledge their sins before God. And so they would be open to hear the way of forgiveness through the preaching of Jesus. Through his coming death for their sins. You know, ground that's been plowed up can receive the seed and the water. Whereas hard ground, the seed cannot penetrate and the water runs off. So John turned the soil of their hearts so they could receive the teaching of Jesus. 
Amen. Well, John's, baptize, uh, John's baptism served in these ways. So this baptism of Jesus was a defining moment in his ministry because it was a revelation that he was the promised Messiah of Israel who John had been sent to announce. Secondly, Jesus' baptism was a defining moment in his ministry because it revealed his full identification with his people and their need of forgiveness for their sins. So it was an identification with his people. This is quite interesting. The people were coming out to John at the Jordan River. They were confessing their sins. They were being baptized. And the news spread all over the country. Jesus heard about it up in the north. Up in Galilee. Well, what did he do? He, just, he didn't just say, well, that's very good. Those people need to repent. No. He gets up. He puts on his traveling clothes. And he travels for 37 or so miles down to the Jordan River. A good hard day's walk. And he gets in line on the riverbank with all the other people confessing their sins and waiting to be baptized. And he follows them one by one down into the water before John the Baptist. He presents himself to John to be baptized. John instinctively knew immediately that this man had no sins. And so he refused to baptize him. We read about this in Matthew's account, chapter 3, verse 14. It says, John the Baptist would have prevented him, would have stopped him, saying to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John the Baptist consented to baptize Jesus. John did not want to baptize Jesus. He felt it needed to be the other way around. He needed to be the one baptized by Jesus. Yet Jesus insisted that John baptize him, as he says, quote, in order to fill all to fulfill all righteousness. So John recognized the authority of Jesus and he consented to baptize Jesus. How can we understand this? We know that Jesus was sinless. The scriptures are plain. He never committed a sin. So what does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? John seemed to be correct in initially rejecting Jesus' request. But Jesus says, for me to be baptized would fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it would be considered by God as a righteous action. It would be the will of God. So, I think that a possibility of what's happening here is that Jesus, as a human being, is submitting, as did all other human beings in his nation who were seeking to be right with God, he was submitting to this call of John to prepare 
for Messiah's coming by repenting of sins and being baptized. As a Hebrew son of his nation, he submitted to this call of the prophet to all the people. Although he had no sins. He's not guilty of any sin. He had no need to repent of anything. What he may be doing here is presenting a picture, a foretaste, a hint that he would be the one to bear his people's sins. He was identifying himself with them who are sinful humans. Not that he himself was sinful, but he had come to be one with them in humanity and take away their sin. Difficult situation to understand, but we kind of have to use our holy imagination and figure out what may be the meaning here. But we do know this. It was the will of God for Jesus to be baptized. And he was. John recognized this and baptized him. So, this baptism of Jesus was a defining moment for him because it was a revelation that he was the true Messiah. And it was a means of his identification with his people. It was also a defining moment for Jesus, thirdly, because when the Spirit descended from heaven, it was an outpouring, it was an infusion of the Spirit upon him. It had never happened to him like this. But it happened at that time. What's going on here? Well, I mentioned in a previous sermon that in the Old Testament, whenever a man was called to a special ministry by God as a prophet, as a priest or a king, he was anointed with oil as a uh, pointing to the Holy Spirit, equipping him for that ministry. You remember when Samuel went to anoint one of the seven sons of Jesse? The youngest son, David, was the one that God chose him. So Samuel pulls out, pours out a whole horn of oil on him and anoints him as king. He becomes king at that time. And he, the Spirit came upon David and enabled him to serve as king. So the Spirit came upon Jesus to enable him to serve God. Now, this outpouring of the Spirit upon the coming one was prophesied in the Old Testament. Several key places. It speaks of the Spirit coming upon this one who is coming in the future. For example, Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That is a child of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of Yahweh, will rest upon him. Now, John's Gospel says the Spirit came from heaven and remained on Jesus. It rested upon him, okay? The Spirit of wisdom, now this Spirit here is capital S, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Yahweh. That's Isaiah 11. We look at Isaiah 42. 
Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit, my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So there's this servant coming upon whom Yahweh would put his spirit, and he would bring forth justice to the nations. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in his home synagogue, and he stands up and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up, and he begins to read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. This is what the text says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. The anointing, that means Messiah. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So these texts are talking about the Holy Spirit of Yahweh coming on this individual. He would be endowed by all these, uh, with all these powers, holy powers, by the Spirit of God to bring healing and deliverance to needy people. John is saying, that one in Isaiah eleven forty two and Isaiah 61 has arrived. Amen. John himself tells us in his gospel that the Lord told him that when you see the Holy Spirit come down like a dove on that man, he's the one, he's the Messiah. He saw it. John saw it with his own eyes. Well, <clears throat> The coming of the Spirit on Jesus was no small event. Notice how Mark describes the event in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Jesus saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This was not an inconsequential, everyday, common event. It was a splitting open of the sky. And the Spirit of God descended. He came down in the form of a dove. The Spirit is invisible, but He took the form of a dove so it could be seen clearly with the human naked eye that the Spirit was coming to light upon Jesus. All three Gospels, I should say all four Gospels, the other three report this. Mark 3.16, The heavens were opened to Him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Luke 3.21, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and he was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. This was no small event. And then again, John bore witness. John 1.32, he says this, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. John was an eyewitness of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit came from heaven. He came from God. This was a defining moment in Jesus' life and ministry. The Father himself poured out, he effused, if I can use that word, the Holy Spirit and power upon his Son. 
The text says in John, as I mentioned, it remained on him. It did not, wasn't there temporarily. It was permanently there. Never departed from him. In fact, the presence of the Holy Spirit was the invisible power of God that was present with Jesus Christ throughout his ministry. Summarized for us in Acts 10, 36 through 38. Peter's preaching, and he says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Cornelius' household heard the words from Peter preaching, about how God anointed Jesus. And he went around healing all who were oppressed by the devil. It all began on the banks of the Jordan that day. And the Holy Spirit came from heaven as the heavens were torn open. It was not a small event. It was a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. It was an effusion an outpouring of the Spirit upon him. One more reason Jesus' baptism was a defining moment, and that is because it revealed the Father's love for his Son, his pleasure in his Son. It was an affirmation, a declaration of the Father's love and pleasure in his Son. We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. There are two great truths here. The father's words to his son. First of all, he said, you are my beloved son. This was a personal word from God the father to his son. We hear the same personal words in Luke's account, chapter 3, verse 22. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. If we turn to Matthew's account, chapter 3, verse 17, it's, it says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So here in Matthew's recording, the father's words seem to be a witness to the onlooker. Lookers, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. The other two accounts are a personal word from a father to his son, but there's no contradiction in the way it's presented in these Gospels. You remember the father spoke these same words another time in Jesus' ministry at the Transfiguration on the mountain when Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up and his clothes were, became white like lightning and Elijah and Moses appeared with him and a voice spoke from heaven you're my beloved son listen to him <clears throat> well what is happening here? at the Mount of Transfiguration and at the baptism. The Father is expressing His love for His Son. 
Jesus testified to the Father's love for him in his prayer to the Father in John 17, 24. He says to the Father, You love me from before the foundation of the world. On the Mount of Transfiguration. And at the baptism, God is affirming his love for his Son. He loved his Son in all eternity. He loved his Son when he took upon himself human nature. His love for his Son was not interrupted in the least by him taking our humanity. His love for his Son was as steadfast and faithful as ever. It was an affirmation of his constant, intimate, faithful, personal love for his Son. His deeply abiding love for his son. In John 8, 29, Jesus said this, He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So the father's words to his son were not only a personal affirmation of his abiding love for his son, but they were an affirmation that his life and ministry and the service of his son were pleasing to the Father. Jesus' chief mission in life was to please his heavenly Father. He said to his disciples in John chapter 4, My meat and my drink is not my daily food, but it's to do the will of my Father. And when he faced the cross, the suffering for our sins, the separation from his Father that would happen on the cross, he asked that if possible he could be saved from that time. But ultimately he, he submitted to the Father's will. He said, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So he always submitted to the Father's will. It was for such loving and submissive obedience that the Father loved him and declared from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this baptism was a defining moment in Jesus' ministry because it was an affirmation of the Father's love for his Son, his pleasure in his Son's ministry. So what are we seeing today? We've seen that this baptism was a defining moment in his ministry because it was a revelation that Jesus indeed was the divine Messiah whom John the Baptist was preparing the people to receive. It was also an identification his identification with sinners he came to save. It was an infusion, an outpouring, outpouring of the Spirit upon the Son. The heavens were torn open. God himself poured out his Spirit and power upon his Son. And it was an affirmation of the Father's love for his Son and his pleasure in his Son. Well, Jesus made a point to travel all the way from Nazareth to Jordan 
to be baptized. He made an effort. He saw a need. It was the will of God. It's the same for us today. God calls sinners to Himself to become Christians, and the way they begin their Christian life is through the waters of baptism. And just as the Spirit was poured out upon His Son at His baptism, so God pours out His Spirit, He anoints His people. As they begin their Christian lives, and as they carry on their Christian lives, He never withdraws His Spirit from them. We come to God through faith in His Son, His Spirit abides with us forever. And in Jesus' baptism... We see a very important thing happening here. It's a clear manifestation of the three persons of the one God acting at this event. There's the Son standing there, dripping wet, having been baptized by John. And the Spirit from the Father descends upon him. The Father speaks to the Son. And so we see the incarnated Son standing in the water, having been baptized. The Father from heaven speaks, and the Holy Spirit descends. All three persons revealed right there. Well, John's baptism was a defining moment in his ministry. And thus, it was a defining moment for us also as his people. So to him be glory in the church forever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you broke open the heavens and sent your spirit upon your son and spoke to him of your love and pleasure in him. We thank you also that you sent the spirit into our hearts that we might believe in your Son, follow him in the waters of Christian baptism, and become his disciple. Evermore strengthen us, we pray, in our knowledge of you, and in our service to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.